Welcome to Six Degrees Within YGK, a podcast where we get everyone within the YGK area where we talk about health, fitness, and overall balance of life. I'm your host, Bob Payne, owner of CrossFit Limestone and Limestone Athletics. Hey everyone, on episode 12, we have longtime members Nate and Beata come on the show and discuss their journey with CrossFit and travel. We talked about when they started at Michelle Latondra's gym, who is a former CrossFit competitor, their time living in England, some of the competitions and other gyms they visited there. We then get into telling stories about travel, delicious food in different countries like Morocco, scuba diving in Indonesia, and beers in Eastern Europe. This is a fun episode if you guys are missing the travel bug and want to hear some cool travel adventures. Enjoy, guys. So we got Nate and B. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having us. Oh, awesome. Let's just start off. Okay. For everyone, tell us about, tell us who you guys are. Let's go on a little bit of history about you guys being at the gym here. Uh, sure. Yeah. I think B, maybe you can start oh, this one okay, off. And... Okay. All right. So, um, so we're originally from Kingston. Um, we were, uh, we went to high school here and that's where we met and um, we ended up moving to Montreal uh, where we started CrossFit actually. Uh, we started uh, CrossFit there at Montreal Plateau with um, Michelle Latondra actually was, was one of the coaches there, which was oh, really that's cool. awesome, right? Yeah. It was, was that uh, right before she became competitive or was that during her competitive time? She was competitive at that time, actually. So it was a really neat way to start CrossFit to be involved with all that. We actually went and saw her and supported her at regionals. Um, she coached us there at that gym. Um, we had a fantastic time at that gym. We probably there about... Uh, only a few months yeah. after we moved, uh, before we moved, um, and then we moved to England. Now, before you guys went to England, because you guys came here for a little bit too, mm-hmm. and what was that, a summer that you guys were here? Yeah, so I think that probably would have been the summer um, after we were in Montreal. So we were in Montreal when I was at uni doing my undergrad, and um, B was working there, and then, yeah, we had a summer where we moved back to Kingston before we went to England, and I think that's when we came here for the first time. So this kind of became like our home base when we were here, because when we were in England for five years, but we would come home every summer and come back to this gym, and um, and yeah, and so in England we actually went to a couple of CrossFit gyms. So we we really liked CrossFit, so we wanted to continue doing it there. Um, we lived in a little town called Sandhurst, which is um, sort of in the middle of nowhere, I guess, by, by Southern England standards. Like there's a lot around it, but there there wasn't CrossFit there, so we had to go to CrossFit in Reading. Um, which you, was, uh, you guys had to jump on the train, didn't you? That's we right. Had to yeah. Jump on the train. So, so when we first moved to England, Reading, uh, the CrossFit gym in Reading was about a 30 minute train ride away from our house, which was all right. It wasn't the end of the world, but then, um, they actually changed locations halfway through and we were so loyal to that gym that we, we turned this into an insane commute. Essentially, it ended up being grabbing our bikes, putting our bike on one train, transferring to a different train, and then cycling 30 minutes to get to this gym every day. So the whole you thing... You guys were warmed up before walking <laughs> We the were doors. so warm, let me tell you. And yeah, so it would be a whole like three-hour trip total every night. We, Looking back on that, I don't know what we were thinking, but you know, the, that just goes to show how great the community was. Um, we were committed to making that commute. You know, we, we really enjoyed our time at that gym. Um, we actually started at that gym because of their barbell class. So they had a barbell club. We were really keen on getting into Olympic weightlifting more. Um, so they kind of ran a little course there, and then they had a barbell club come out of that. We really enjoyed the community there. I can't speak enough to, to England's kind of CrossFit culture. Um, the really What do you mean social. by the CrossFit culture? It's very social there, um, on top of being a place where you can work out. Um, and there's so many CrossFit gyms in England. And anywhere you go, you're ultimately just welcomed immediately into the, to the, to the social aspect of it as well. Um, doing a lot of things outside the gym, a lot of community stuff, uh, a lot of little road trips, active days, um, lots of CrossFit competitions. So supporting your gym um, at different competitions around the country. It's just a very, very social, very welcoming environment there. So we were lucky enough to be in the CrossFit community in England for for five years while we lived there. Um, Yeah, we actually switched gyms. 
Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun, but you know that commute did did make it tough. We um, weren't getting enough sleep really. I think the barbell class that we went to was at like it was at like nine at night oh or something, gosh. eh? So we'd finish at like ten. That's like bedtime. Yeah, definitely. And then we still had to make that commute home. So you know, and then we're up at like six the next day to teach. And, and we everything. were in our twenties at this point, <laughs> so this was doable. But um, yeah, like as much as we loved it, we uh, we just had to go to a gym closer to home. So we did find another one um, that was in like the next town over from us, uh, CrossFit Camberley, and um, and it was a it was the smallest gym we've we've ever been a part of. I think like in terms of members and size, really, it was just like in a little um, like shed almost. Eh? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, shipping, big, big shipping container almost. But um, yeah, really, really great place. We had a lot of fun there, and I think that was the gym that we spent the most time at in England. Eh? We were there a little bit longer. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, like I say, a really, really fun place. And, um, I think we tried a, a bunch of different things there. Like I went through a phase where I kind of stopped CrossFit for a while and was doing mostly powerlifting stuff. Like I, I, um, one of my friends was a, a weightlifter and did, did some programming where I was just doing like squats and bench press and that sort of thing. Um, and that was really fun. I started eating a lot and, and then I kind of went back to CrossFit for a while. And, uh, now what got you into that phase there just to do a little powerlifting just to like, I just need a cycle. Cause I do that too. There's times where yeah. like, yeah, I'm not going to do any CrossFit. I'm just going to do like just pure weightlifting and things like that. Mm. So I think, um, it's hard to pin down exactly what it was. I think that I was starting to feel a little burnt out with CrossFit at the time. Um, I don't know why, just like all the, you know, high intensity stuff. I felt like maybe something, um, just, just a little different to try. And I wanted to push the numbers up in my, in my lifts, you know, like my snatch and clean and jerk and stuff like that. Um, and I felt like I was kind of getting to a, a point where I needed to like gain more muscle and just get stronger in general to, to do that. So, um, yeah, like I said, I had a friend who was like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll throw together a program for you and, and, you know, give you some nutrition and stuff like that. Yeah, he was committed to the uh, 4,000 cal life for a while there. I had to watch him eat about three bags of chips for dinner. It wasn't... Uh... Well, that's like every guy's dream, just eat a uh, shit ton right before bed, right? It was fun. It was a lot of fun, for it's sure. It's fun until you have to go up a flight of stairs, then it really starts <laughs> yeah. to suck. Yeah, and like doing... Cross I did do some CrossFit during this time, so yeah, running and stuff and pull-ups did become a little challenging. But uh, but yeah, you know, I did... My lifts did go up a lot. My squat went up a lot, and, uh, you know, it, I did feel really, really good. Um, so, so that was fun. And uh, yeah, I think at some point in the future, I'll probably you know, try and do something similar again, like maybe get back into some squatting program or something like that. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I guess we've gotten a little off topic here, but that CrossFit Camberley gym was our, probably the gym we've been at the longest, uh, three, four years. Um, and again... So that would be even longer than you guys been here, because since exactly. you guys have been back, it's been about two years, yeah, maybe? Yeah, with the pandemic included, so unfortunately not consistently in the gym, but as part of the community, certainly. So um, that one, uh, CrossFit Cambly, was our longest stint at a gym, and we've made absolutely lifelong friends there. Again, the community is incredible. Um, really excited to go back and visit at some point. Um, but, yeah, so we were coming here uh, to, to CrossFit Limestone or Limestone Athletics every summer. So we were lucky enough to be working in education, the both of us um, had summers off and could come back to Canada every summer, which was absolutely lovely. And then we... Uh, you know, Bob, you were kind enough to invite us into the community here on a part-time, summertime basis. Oh, I always remember because you guys will send the email and be like, hey, we're back in town. Can we <laughs> join for the month? And be like, awesome, let's do it. So, no, it was always awesome to have you guys come back. But now you guys are here full-time. I'm happy to be here. Uh, yeah, because you even have some of your family members come here. Like, be your dad was a member here <laughs> for... Maybe a year, maybe less. I yeah. don't know. Because that, that was like a few years back because you guys were over in England. So anyone who's ever been in this gym <laughs> are doing a really hard workout and the music's cranked and it's bumping and it, the music is what's getting you. I can thank your dad for that. I was going to say, I thank my dad for the speaker system. He's yeah, because he's the one that set it up, <laughs> made it like surround sound because I had no idea what I was doing. He was like, oh, I'll set it up. So he hung them up, wired it up, did all that. Um, yeah, he took the time, and oh, it, was, it was amazing. They still go strong now. So. Yeah, he's great. He still wears his uh, CrossFit Limestone shirt. You know, they live, they do live 45 minutes out of town still, so I think the commute was a bit much for, for coming into town to the gym. But um, he, he always, you know, asks us about the gym, how's it going, and how's Bob, and, and everything. So uh, my sister has been here as well. Like, whenever she's in town, I remember sending you an email, like, hey, you know, could she come train? And she, she's, she loves it here as well. So... Yeah, we've got our family here, which is nice. You know, um, this is every time we come back for the summer to visit family and to be a part of this community. It's, it's, 
you know, CrossFit is so, so great in that way is you can join gyms wherever, anywhere in the world. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you're already part of that community because you're part of something bigger, something greater. And, um, you know, we've been very, very lucky to be, to be members of different gyms around the world and see kind of the different approaches they've taken to programming. Oh, for sure. Cause I was mm. going to say like every gym has its own culture, right? Yeah. It has its own, like, like all, they all are from like a macro point of view. Like they're all quite similar, mm-hmm. but when you get into like the micro views there that every gym has its own culture and like, mm. Tara and I, when we travel, like a lot of times we used to always try and hit a lot of gyms. We just haven't been doing that as much, even pre-COVID. But uh, but one key thing was like when I was in Europe and stuff, I always hit different gyms. So let's jump into a couple different gyms that you guys went through. Because when you guys are in England, you guys bounce around a lot. You guys went to uh, quite a few different countries, so I'd love to jump in on that. So what are some amazing gyms that you went to outside of um, – I guess it's Sandhurst area, mm-hmm. like even other countries. Mm-hmm. Was there any that stood out in your mind that you're like, man, if anybody goes to this area, check out this gym? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a few. I think um, one that we visited that was was really cool was, um, it was CrossFit Leeds, that's yeah. what it was called, yeah. right? So we spent like a couple, we- I mean, this was still in England, but uh, up in the north, uh, we spent, a, was it two weeks up there doing a house sit? So we were... Um, we we were basically like had free accommodation in this house, and the deal was we looked after their their dogs um, while they were away. Which on is holiday. like the best deal ever because oh, dogs are God. amazing. It was so good. Yeah, yeah. We did a lot of house sitting in the first couple of years that we were in Europe, like all over Europe. But um, so we didn't we didn't know this um this family, but they were really really nice and they're they're. If you didn't know the family, how did you get hooked up? Is this like an online website? Yeah, or? yeah. So it's called um, yeah. yeah, it's what was it called? House sitters. It's um it was called Trusted House Sitters actually. Hundred yeah. percent um, would recommend that we. You essentially you sign up for uh, saying you're you're down to look for uh, look after people's pets, people's houses, and and you just get emails of different ones that are available. Uh, you'd contact them and apply, have a little short interview usually over the phone, and then they might accept you for that. So, so you know we had a lot of holidays. We were lucky enough working in education. We had about 13 weeks each year total um, spread out through the through the year. So we it's a really great way to obviously live a bit more locally instead of doing kind of the traditional traveling. So we did a few house sits like this. Uh, and, you know, we didn't have our own pets in England. We couldn't have them at the time. So it was a great way to kind of also get to look after a dog, look after some cats and get some some pet time as well. So we did one in um, France and Switzerland. We did one in uh, in England, in northern England. We did one in Germany. Yeah. And we did one... Another one in the south another one in the south of England um, and every single one of them was fantastic and they always have welcomed us back and we've kind of made those connections as well um, so definitely would recommend that if you're oh that's amazing yeah. that would be amazing yeah so in so when we were we were spending a summer up in in the northern England um, near Leeds so we actually did commute into Leeds to go to this gym and it was great there was a real um, we were doing a strength program at the time so yeah. They were letting us use like all their cool strongman like equipment chains. and chains and all that fun stuff. Um, we were members of that box for a couple weeks. That was really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, you know, the traveling we've done in England, in in Europe, um, we haven't actually been members of any other gym part time. We've definitely popped in yeah. for a session yeah, or like, two. Yeah. yeah popping in so well how many countries have you been to in england or in europe oh my gosh i have it on my phone somewhere it's something like 20 something yeah yeah so not just in europe we've also been uh, a little bit to the middle east north africa and asia a little bit as well um but my most memorable wasn't actually a gym it was um our trip to indonesia so we we spent a couple weeks there doing our scuba diver certification on this tiny little island. Which is not a bad spot to go learn not that versus the Great much, Lakes. I mean, you get spoiled learning to scuba dive in Indonesia because it's pretty much the best in the world. And then you think, oh. You, probably, you don't even probably need a wetsuit for that. No, no, no. no. Nice yeah, it was beautiful. So, you know, we didn't have a gym there, but there was this little kind of dojo. So we were just in this tiny little island in the middle of nowhere on the beach. We had a little cabin right on the beach. Um, the, the company was called Nomad Divers, was run by a couple of British people as well that had been over there that we're now friends with. Uh, it's just lovely. And we just did our own little bodyweight workouts every single morning on the beach um, using 
yeah, our body weight, but also using some scuba diving equipment. So they lent us some chains and stuff. We were doing some squats with some chains. Oh, that would be perfect. Just throw, like, a full tank on your shoulders there. Go for, like, a weighted <laughs> run or something. So. The lifestyle was fantastic. You wake up, do a little workout, have your breakfast, go scuba diving, have lunch, go scuba diving, have uh, a little treat, uh, and then just chill out on the beach all afternoon, have dinner with the, uh, the family there. It was so nice. So that was really memorable for us in a way that we kept active during that, that holiday. Um, but outside of that, you know, most of our holidays have been either kind of tour-based or mostly on our own in different European cities. So the main thing with those um, was just walking. Um, every single day, we'd try to walk, try to five, five or six hours, explore the city. And, you know, that's kind of how we would get our activity in because those were such action-packed uh, vacations. Yeah. And that's how we balanced it, really. Yeah. And, you know, we, we often popped in to see other gyms. Like, we popped into one in, in Geneva when we were in the France-Switzerland area. Yeah. And it was it was just way too expensive. It was, like, would have been, like, 100 pounds or something for, for one oh, drop-in wow, session. Wow, that is yeah. crazy high. Because yeah. I've been to a couple of gyms, like, in Toronto and stuff like that, yeah. mm -hmm. where it's, like, 30 bucks a person. But sometimes you'd be like, if I buy a T-shirt, do I get a discount? Yes. They're yeah. like, no, but... That is crazy hot. Yeah. Geneva in general is just crazy expensive. I think that's what they told us. We're like, wow, that's really expensive. They're like, yeah, that was that Geneva. beautiful gym when you walked in there? It like looked it, nice. Like yeah. pulpery in the washrooms, granite, countertops. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was pretty a really pretty. nice one in, in Barcelona yes. as well. In Barcelona, in where we were staying in uh, Gracia was uh, one of the neighborhoods there and they had a beautiful gym there that we popped into small, yeah but like they almost they almost had this like balcony thing from what i remember like there was like two floors but like a hole in the middle so you could see underneath and they had ropes for like climbing in the middle it was yeah it was a really cool setup for sure um but yeah one gym that was memorable for me too was um was uh Surbiton, across the Surbiton, yeah. which is not too far from us like it's just kind of on the outskirts of london but actually one of the coaches at, at camberley um started this gym um, and and they are now in the CrossFit Games yeah, right now, shout so they're out to them. Yeah. so so yeah. Let's talk about that because you mentioned because we just did a class here. It's Sunday morning, so by the time this airs, the games will be over. But they were just they just won an event in the Coliseum last night. We're so so happy for them. Okay. Um, a couple Is that their of team names, Serbiton? CrossFit Serbiton, I believe. Yeah. So um, our friend Grace uh, Grace and Harry, um, she used to be a coach and a friend of ours at uh, Camberley. Uh, she was the weightlifting coach and. You know, we got to know her. She's a fantastic person. Her and Harry, um, they're on this team in uh, CrossFit Surbiton, and they've, they've made it to the games this year. We're so, so proud of them. And uh, they, they won an event last night. So, so exciting. Yeah. yeah. So we visited their gym as well. Their gym is absolutely beautiful. Um, motion training, CrossFit Surbiton in, in England. Yeah. We did a pegboard work. We did a pegboard <laughs> workout there, and it was that was interesting. <laughs> that was the only time I've ever tried a pegboard. And uh, yeah, it could go up a few rungs and then had to come back down. But uh, it's yeah, because kind of it's a commitment thing. thing. You gotta go all the way up. Right? Once you're so. up, you have no choice but to come <laughs> back down. And actually going down, I think was the hard part, if I remember correctly. So you didn't want to like push it too much. But yeah. Fun now stuff. you guys been doing CrossFit for quite a few years now, so you can kind of see the some of the change, the evolution of it that's happened over time. Now, have you noticed a big difference of like gyms over the years have become overall just um, like cleaner, better? Like more, because before the old school style was like in the garage gym. Like we were like that in the beginning, like uh, just white paint on the walls. Who cares if it's kind of a little bit dirty, but that was kind of like the gritty style, loud music and stuff like that. But I guess the best way to put it is like they become a little bit more professional, right? A little bit cleaner. Mm. Like have you guys noticed a big difference of that over the years? I, uh, I think maybe. Like the first gym that we started at was pretty... It was a it was a big operation like the one in Montreal like it might have been it might have been the biggest gym we've been well to, like, the, the in Montreal like they're just ahead of like yeah they started mm. like long before right yeah. yeah so it um you know that gym had two two full floors in it and they were they were big like it was a massive space so I don't it um it didn't really it, it was pretty polished I guess is, is what I want to say from the so that was our first one um yeah it probably depends more more on the gym than anything like that one we were just talking about in Surbiton was was very oh polished gosh. like and it was a really new one like they just opened in 2018 2019 like just before we left sort of thing um and uh yeah it was I mean it's London so you know it's, it's a, a little, little bit more money yeah, yeah yeah exactly membership was a 
reasonable price. I think, you know, you're right there. Like, I think it depends where you are. I think what's cool about it is that there still are those really scrappy gyms, those little ones in the in the garages, and there are these beautiful, massive, you know, expensive uh, gyms, but it's still the same community. And I think what we've noticed is actually just the vol uh, the amount of gyms has increased obviously since we started CrossFit and anywhere you go, you can now find one, which is great. So the community's certainly grown and yeah, there's certain, certainly those gyms that are extremely polished, but there, there's, there's a variety, which is nice. And there's more to choose from now, you know, depending on what kind of gym you're looking for. For sure. And like, I think like, yeah, it's just some more options. Well, we'll go back on that. Like I, because CrossFit New England, everyone kind of knows that one. If you've never heard of it, it's Ben Bergeron's gym, and this was kind of like the gold standard of mm-hmm. running a gym, right? And Tara and I, we were going down to um, Boston to watch a football game, and this was, yeah, this was just in the wintertime, and so we were going like, hey, let's go to CrossFit New England. Remember, it was pretty expensive to go there, just do a drop, and super excited, so we walk in there. I remember it looked pretty gritty, pretty, I don't want to say dirty. It wasn't like dirt on the floor, but it wasn't like very polished to use your word there, Nate. And I remember going into the barbell. It's like, it kind of blew my mind. It was like, this wasn't like the cleanest place, but it was a very well oiled machine. Like classes were run very strict there. I remember seeing kind of Trin, Dave's daughter. She was there working in this back room, kind of popped my head around. They're doing like accessory. And I kind of was trying to look around there. Um, and our coach was Rachel Martinez, who was in the games there for quite a few years. If That's if you've cool. done CrossFit long enough, you would know that name. So I remember going to that. But so that was kind of neat seeing a gym like that so well known. Yeah. But it wasn't like um, wasn't like the Jason Klepa gyms where it's like they got nice um, oak wood on the walls and stuff like that. It was just like just a warehouse style. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing about CrossFit, I think, you know you know, that's different from traditional gyms. Like there's a ton of, you know, traditional gyms that are all about show and all about polish and this and that. And, and, and you can find that in CrossFit gyms as well, but at its core, you know, it is community and it is like work hard and it is about the programming. So, you know, like you can certainly get those polished gyms, but CrossFit for us anyways, has always been about the community. Oh, for sure. The style of the workout, the coaching and all yeah. that. That's all, that was always my favorite thing. So let's jump into what was kind of like the hardest workout you'd done. Like okay. our coolest workout. We thought we had to think about this one. Yeah. We've done a lot of really brutal stuff over the years. Like I would like, I'll jump back to CrossFit New England. So, so you think we're going to like one of the best gyms in CrossFit at the time. So Tara and I were super excited. So we're like, okay, we're going to the gym. Um, and this is back when all the gyms still posted online their workouts. You can read up on them on like the blogs and stuff before they got into like the Wattify apps and all that. So we, as we're driving, right before we walked in, we saw 2,000 meter row. <laughs> that was it. No. We're like, oh my God. Anybody who's ever done a 2,000 meter row knows it's the worst. But the thing is, when we were going in there, it's like I will say, we went to the football game the day before, so we're feeling a little foggy on this, right? And the whole class was dedicated to the 2,000-meter row. And so this only takes about eight minutes. So the first half was like going over technique. I'm literally just sweating out all the beer that we drank the night before. <laughs> and then I remember there's like, okay, go as hard as you can. And I've done it before, so I was like, this is not fun. Like, I've done it. I have a standard in my mind. I'm going to push it so hard on this that, like, it's going to be so uncomfortable. Why am I paying money to do this? This is stupid. You start going through all those thoughts, right? But I remember doing it. It was, like, it was awesome. It was some great coaching on that. But I remember it was, like, a very, um, like, you're going to, like, this top-end gym, and you just end up growing 2,000 meters. So it was, like, man, this sucks. Like, sucks for the workout. wasn't, like, a disappointment, but, like, it just sucked. Yeah, 2,000 meter row is not fun. I, I think I've actually only had to do that test once, thankfully. Um, so, so, guess not what looking we're doing for next week? <laughs> yeah, yay. Okay, great. I'll, I'll prepare for that. Um, but hardest workout for me, um, I had to think about this because there's definitely been some really tough, kind of long, hard workouts. Um, but I think what stands out for me the most is one of the most simple workouts, right? Like it's sometimes it's the most simple looking workout that can be the most devastating, um, just like the 2000 meter row. And it was um, hill sprints actually. (laughs) 
So we did a competition, one of the few competitions we, we, we did. We're not big on competing, but this one we trained for, and it was, uh, it was, it was a, an event. It was a, a kind of a, a more famous competition that they used to do in England called Tribal Clash. I don't know if you've heard of it, um, but they do do it around the world now as well. And it's essentially, it's a team of six, teams of six, and it's on a beach in Devon for two days and a weekend. And it's a lot of stuff like um, logs, you know, like uh, beach runs, stuff. worms. Yeah, yeah. Outside the box type fitness. Over like beams and and tires and it's it's tough. Swimming, Swimming, running, swimming. So it's a really tough kind of competition, but it was we had a great time. And they had this one workout that was just um, uh, three sprints up what they called Heartbreak Hill. And I don't know how big this hill was, but it took about a those, minute. Those are the worst when they're like, yeah. how far is it? Uh, they can't tell you. No, <laughs> it sucks. The hill was steep. And so it was about a minute of full out sprinting to get up this hill. But what you had to do was three times. So you had a three minute interval that you had to get up, sprint this hill as fast as possible. So your times were all collected and the fastest times were, were, were the best. And you had a three-minute interval to sprint up this hill and get back down and then do another sprint and get back down. So three three-minute intervals. And it was absolutely soul-crushing, like, for every single person. Like, just to – your legs were shot by the time you got up that hill that, you know, people had to be dragged down this hill essentially at the end of it. They couldn't make it back down the hill. That is disgusting because, like, by the <laughs> time you're getting almost to the top, your oh my legs gosh. are not firing. Yeah. It's like you're barely walking, right? And knowing you have to do it again. So I remember by the time I got down after my second sprint, I just almost gave up. I was like, I cannot do this again. Like, it was rough. So for me, that was probably the hardest workout I've done. Um, If you want to jump in there, Nate. Yeah, yeah. No, I would just add that, yeah, that was one of the hardest ones for me too, for sure. Like, and like you say, Bob, by the top, you're like climbing. Like it was, it really felt vertical, but you're moving slowly, but you feel like you're exerting a hundred percent effort. And then, you know, you, you have just enough time to get back to the bottom and then like start running again. It was a crazy thing. But, um, yeah, I think, um, one of the harder ones for me wasn't really one workout, but it was almost like some programming that, um, that, uh, one of our coaches at Camberley was was trying for a while. So we had this um, this class at, at Camberley called Comp Class, which was like every Saturday, and it was um, it was supposed to be for competitors, like people in the gym who you know were serious competitors. And we we were not serious competitors, <laughs> but we we just asked if we could join, and we sort of tried to like muscle our yeah, way. We basically into- had to beg our way into this <laughs> class, but. Um, but it made us so much better as athletes, yeah, yeah. So the classes were, it was just a longer class, essentially. Like, it was um, an hour and a half, and the, the workouts were, were tough, for sure. You would do, yeah, three components. So you'd have, um, uh, the first half hour was always gymnastics. So there'd be, like, some kind of, um, you know, long gymnastics piece. And then weightlifting in the middle, and then um, and then a wad at the end. And the wads were usually, like, 30 to 45-minute team wad sort of things with lots of, like, sprints and, and you know, crazy things. But um, in... Uh, for a while, the comp class, the middle section, the weightlifting section was, um, we were working on barbell cycling. So they were like these, I don't remember specifically what they were, this is a few years back, but they were like usually about um, somewhere between like uh, 30 to 50 reps unbroken you were supposed to do, like every two minutes. That is disgusting in itself. Yes, yes. And yeah, so they'd be like, you know, every two minutes or every four minutes, whatever it was, for five rounds or whatever it is, you've got to... Even doing like 50 double unders or 50 skips, I'm Mm -hmm. like, I'm Mm -hmm. dying. Yes. So doing 50 with a barbell, like even with the empty barbell, that would be disgusting. That's the thing. So they were light, you know, you would go light like somewhere for 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 me i'd be doing maybe 75 to 95 and yeah it would be something like maybe 10 10 snatches and then 10 um overhead squats and then 10 uh whatever like you just keep going for until you've got 50 reps yeah and uh and then you stop and you rest for whatever time you have left and um yeah, those were were really really tough. Barbell cycling for me is is not a strength of mine. It's definitely like an area to to work on. Um, so that was you just kind of felt like sick at the end. You know? Now, now <laughs> since this was like a week, well, like over a few weeks progression, right. were you going in just kind of like stressed or like yeah, were you I, like, man, I'm a <laughs> pump for this? Like, what the was first the first mu- one you mindset? look at and you're like, this doesn't look so bad, you know? It's like um, you know, lightweight and I'm which just was doing... your first mistake, right there. Yes, I think exactly. It doesn't look yeah. so bad. And, you know, we were 
were newer at CrossFit at the time, so a little more naive. But yeah, so you do that first one, and then and then yeah, the f next few weeks it was a similar one or or the same one, but you were supposed to try and go a bit heavier, right? And you yeah, you knew how rough it was the week before, um, but uh, yeah, knowing it had to be unbroken, you know, going into those like fifteen reps or whatever, you know, oh, we got ten ten power cleans, like ten shoulder overhead, and then ten thrusters or something. But it's it's gross, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, those, like all of those were, were really, really tough for sure. But, but they were helpful. Like I definitely felt in a wad way less afraid of like 10 thrusters, for example, you know, because you know, what's 10 thrusters at 95 when you've just done like 50 reps of, you know? Well, yeah, <laughs> which is more similar to what it is in all work and mm -hmm. like in the middle of a conditioning piece, right? Cause yeah. you're doing 10 thrusters, you're already blown up and just like in that barbell cycling, you're already blown up. Yeah. So it's, you know, it was a great like mental strengthener for sure yeah i mean that comp class in general um you know was so beneficial for us to kind of push us forward and really challenge us just being you know in in a class with people that were very very good you know pushing you to work harder and you were often in a team with them as well and having a chance to work on skill having a chance to work on barbell and then having that long wad like you felt good by the end of that class when it was it was really uh it was really good for us as athletes um to do for sure yeah, you felt like you earned your donuts or whatever. <laughs> oh, <you> yeah. Made, right? <laughs> we would often go out for meals after that one as well, didn't we? And it was like, oh, yeah, oh yeah, all, all the food. Okay, well, since we were just talking about food, so <laughs> bouncing around, going through Europe and Af North Africa and Middle East, so what are some of the, like, what is one spot that sticks out for the best food, like, or even one country? Ooh, that's a good one. We 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 have like a list here of some of our favorite foods because we we had to think about this. Um, so we obviously have some really memorable food experiences, but best food on a whole, um, yeah, I might even say Morocco. Yeah. Why is that? Oh my gosh! Just all the fresh grilled meat, um, the fresh bread. They cook it all over the fire too, right? Yeah. 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 The tagines, um, we kind of fell in Which love is, with. Which is one? Just explain what that is. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Well, so it's um, it, so a tagine, I think, actually is the name of the the pot, eh, that they're made in. So it's like this clay, um, almost looks like a like a triangle or something, sort of thing. Yeah, but it's yeah. like uh, yeah, it's a triangle, big on mm -hmm. the bottom, like yeah. a cone, like sort of thing. And um, uh, yeah, so one thing we learned while we were there is that the tagines are like um something that families hold on to and pass down because over the years they almost absorb like the flavors and spices that they've, because um, whatever clay they're made of, you know, they, they, they work better the longer you've had them. So you have tagines that are like hundreds of years old that families have passed down. And, and um, but yeah, so the tagine, like the meal was usually like just meat and veggies and some kind of like almost like a gravy or something, eh? That, um, so it was just really, really fresh ingredients, um, just cooked, like really slow cooked over a fire. Yeah, because with that, because way it works is like the, like the moisture kind of recycles it. So it's mm -hmm. like cooking in a pot here, but there it's way more traditional. Yeah. yeah, and just kind of recycles it so it keeps everything nice mm -hmm. and tender, the meat. Really juicy. Yeah, anyway, it was, um, so we, almost every meal there, we had tagines, but they were all amazing. Like you'd have a beef one or a lamb one or a vegetarian one. Kafka, the meatballs. Oh, oh yeah. so, so good. And, you know, couscous, the best couscous I've had in my life. In, uh, in a little oasis, we went and ate dinner with a family, a local family, in a little oasis in the middle of the desert. It was incredible. We had uh, fresh, you know, meat with couscous and tagine and, and fresh fruit and then mint tea. Uh, the mint tea there was incredible. And then we had... How like, did you get involved with this family? Was this like a tourist thing? Or it's like actually, yeah. So our first... No, we've only been to Morocco once, right? Yeah, I keep forgetting. Um, so we actually did a, a tour uh, with a company that unfortunately is still not, not in operation anymore. They were called Rug and Rock. And it was just these brothers that had grown up in Morocco. And they really um, were doing these authentic tours um, with local families uh, around Morocco. So the one we did was two weeks. We combined um, our first week is in the Atlas Mountains. Um, in the North Morocco, and we did some really cool active stuff there as well. So this is what we also like to do uh, with regards to traveling, is try to keep them as active as possible if we aren't training. Um, so we did uh, canyoning, so, you know, like rappelling and stuff all through the mountains. We climbed up uh, La Cathedrale. It was a mountain there that we summited, and then we we would uh, spend these our nights and our meals with, with local families, essentially, um, either in locally owned accommodations and um what were they called the accommodations uh, oh, I don't know. 
And that's going to be more, more delicious than anything you're ever going to read some brochure. It's not advertising. Yeah, like, I mean, that's the way to do it. They're just cooking just to cover costs. Yeah, and we, you know, we like to do that as much as possible when we travel and really kind of absorb the local culture. Mm-hmm. And it really does make a difference in the experience. And, and you feel good about, you know, where your money's going and, and, and all that, you know, back into the local economy. So, uh, so yeah, the food in Morocco, yeah. incredible. I think I think another thing about the food there was just like the freshness of ingredients. Like in Morocco, they they grow you know their own olives, and um, so all the olive oil was amazing there. And yeah, like all the 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 fresh um, herbs all over the place. Like they um, like thyme was just growing all over. Like you you would smell it in the air. Um, you know you could just pick it and like you know, and mint too. Like mint was just growing like you know wild all over the place. And so it was uh, you know all this stuff just goes into the food, and it was. Um, yeah, I think it was the, the freshness, really. And the, the Berber omelets, remember those? Is like eggs and tomatoes cooked in a tagine as well, and this, like, amazing omelet thing. Um, that was the second week. So the second week, we went into the desert and into that part of Morocco and, we, and the Berber cultures, and we actually spent a night under the stars in the middle of the desert um, just laying out on a sleeping bag. It was absolutely incredible. So that experience was really special, special to us, one of our most memorable travel experiences. I know, speaking of food, though, however, Nathan, you in particular, fell in love with food in Italy, uh, in the yeah. south of Can't Italy. Can't go wrong there. Can't yeah. go wrong yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, before, like when I was still in, when we were still in Montreal, I guess, I spent a summer working in, in Italy, just like um, uh, teaching English as a second language at these um, these summer camps, I suppose, all over the country. and uh, All over Italy, you yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, okay. so you'd spend like a week in, in one camp or two weeks, depending on the, the length of the camp, and then they'd move you, you'd get like a little envelope with your next assignment in it, which was really cool, with train tickets, so, you know, my first one was in Pisa, I think, and then at the end of that week, I was sent down to like near Naples, and um, one camp that was two weeks long was in uh, Puglia, the very, very south in the, in the boot, and um, so throughout all these camps, you're kind of staying with um, families of kids who are in the camp. So they're like host families. And um, yeah, the, uh, the seafood all over Italy was, was crazy. Like I've, I've grown up in a family that doesn't really eat much seafood. Like they're, you know, just not, not into it. So I hadn't really, you know, I barely like had fish and stuff growing up. But um, uh, I thought, you know, I'll try all these things like octopus and mussels and stuff because it's all right, you know, fresh from the sea. But this, um, this host... Um, family that I was staying with, they would often go down uh, to their, their little like uh, fish market, I guess, in the early morning. Um, they had these fish auctions there, like the fishermen would come in at like 7 a.m. super early with all their catches and they would auction them all off. And uh, yeah, so the, the mother brought home some like um, fish and some squid one time. And, uh, and they had this lemon tree in the backyard, and we just, they just grilled it up, and we just took lemons from the lemon tree and squeezed it over this. The best food is just the most simple yeah. food, right? There was not, like, no, you know, no recipe at all. It was literally just, you know, cut up the squid and put the, the you know. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that was delicious. And, you know, so I, I it totally changed my view on seafood and everything, and I, I still don't eat that much of it now, but while I was there, I was absolutely loving it, and, I think, well, yeah, when in Rome, you gotta eat what the locals yeah. are, right? Like, hence yeah. the saying. Yeah. But so, like, I think the food in Italy, like everyone's know, like everyone knows Italy for their food. And mm-hmm. one of the best meals Tara and I ever had was in Italy too. Like, we we're up in Tuscany on this. We're doing this vineyard tour. It was just Tara and I, were like this guy driving us around, and he took us to his one vineyard. And the vineyard, the house was like built in like the 1200s. Yeah. And we're up in this mountainside, like we're on top of this mountain. It was totally gorgeous and we just sat at this table with the the owner of the vineyard so the winemaker mm-hmm. and he just made all his own wine he was just pouring us wine he was making us like this four course meal it was like the most amazing meal we ever had mm-hmm. but it was like the overall experience though like we i remember like eating this like liver pate it was like literally just melting in your mouth it was that mm-hmm. good to like all the like the wine that he was pairing with and like it was just amazing conversations and i think it's like experiences like that and like what you're talking about with that family there, just learning about how they got off the market and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you're always going to remember those experiences, and that's what yeah. makes the food taste better. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Actually, speaking to that, I do have to mention one of our most memorable food experiences um, in in Sweden. Actually, we so one of our Christmas vacations, we went up to Sweden, and we we did go all around Sweden. But what we did as well is we took an overnight train to the very tippy top in the Arctic Circle. Um, um, which was so, so special. 
And um, there, so the, the Sami people, the indigenous people there, um, own all the reindeer, essentially. So they're protected, and um, you kind of have to get permission to, 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 to use them for food, essentially. So one night we went on a dog sledding trip in the middle of the night um, across Frozen Lake uh, to a tiny little cabin in in the middle of nowhere in the forest. Now, was this this because uh, like was it actually middle of the night that you went, or was it just because they didn't have daylight? At the actually, time? that's pretty fair. It was December, so it got dark at three p.m. But it, this was actually it at was, night because yeah, <laughs> we were hoping to see the it northern was like lights. After dinner, it's not like eight or nine mm -hmm. p.m. I think, sort of thing. But yeah, it was. It, you're right. It was. It was dark for like. Um, you know, there were only like an hour or two of sunlight or something when we were up there. Yeah, so that was weird. That was weird. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so we went dog sledding uh, and then to this little hut where they just made a little fire and then they cooked this fresh reindeer um, in kind of like a stir fry. And we had this little meal just out outside in the in the winter in this hut um they also made some fresh coffee and some little cinnamon buns and it was so so special and it was um you know local food and and it's not kind of nothing you can experience anywhere else you know um so that was really memorable for us yeah now, when you guys were dog sledding how was that like uh, what what in terms of fitness how was that doing that task there was it like tough because or were you guys like sitting more up on the actual sled part? Or were you able to drive? Yeah, we, we did drive them. Yeah. I mean, it's fun sitting for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, we did try driving them. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I'm sure there are ways to do it where it does require a lot of like fitness and, and stuff. Like, we we didn't really have to do much driving it. Eh? Like, the, the dogs knew where to go. And you just kind of, I think basically we just we just brake. You just have to be on the brake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does take some getting used to. But it's more, it's not, the dogs are really doing all the work. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. They're, they're great. But. I, yeah. yeah, I think um, from what I remember of it, you you have this brake that's almost like a pedal that you kind of step on that sort of digs into the snow and pulls the sled back a little. But the dogs, they're they just wanted to go as fast as possible. So you know, if there was a sled in front of you, yeah. the dogs in in your sled would would run right into it if you let them. Basically, so you had to like push into the ground and, and slow them down a bit. And they would kind of realize what you were doing and slow down. But then when you're off the brake for a while, they start speeding up again. Um, they, they were absolutely loving it, eh? The dogs. So. And yeah. I think, yeah, that certainly required some strength, like, you know, digging it into the grid. You really had to uh, put, put some weight into it for sure. But, um, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was good. That was fun. Oh, that's awesome. All right, guys. No, that was great. Um, unless there's some other things you want to talk about. Um, no, you know, like we mentioned, you know, we haven't, we don't, we didn't train so much in gyms when we traveled. We did a lot of walking and tried to stay active, but I did want to mention as well, you know, being part of the CrossFit community, um, especially in Camberley where we made such incredible friends. Like we also did a lot of outside the gym active kind of trips as part of the gym. So one thing we did, um, is we, we did a road trip for a weekend up to Northern, the Northwest of England to the Lake district. And we climbed, um, Scafell Pike, which is kind of like a famous summit within England. And we did that with, along with the members of our gym. And that was obviously very challenging. It took us all day, I think like eight, seven hours, seven, eight hours. Um, and that was kind of a, an example of, you know, traveling, but also, you know, in an active way. And that's essentially what we, what we tried to do to, to balance the lifestyle because we were traveling every six weeks. We were, uh, you know, taking a week or two vacation and drinking a lot of beer and eating a lot of food. Um, but, but it's the balance though. And that's what you balance. guys are talking about. Yeah. Like you come into the gym, you grind hard. So on these weekend or week long excursions, you can go out and enjoy these, these, um, vacations right and when you get out there and that's what it's all about like that balance experience you work hard and then you go out and play and then you go out after and have some beers and you talk about and celebrate it right you celebrate Absolutely. the fitness and achievement that you just did and i think that's beautiful like that's what it should be about right um when you come into the gym obviously there's the competing aspect of crossfit and stuff like that but it's like you're you guys are going out and celebrating your fitness by doing these other tasks right so i think that's amazing yeah, and I mean, like, we discover that there's ways to live that lifestyle while staying healthy and while staying fit and um, while seeing, still being able to, you know, make progress in the gym. It's all about um, what kind of life you want to live and how to balance it, for sure. Um, yeah. Did you want to talk about beer at all, Bob? So we had some beer. Um, yeah, let's talk about, okay, your favorite <laughs> beer spots then. Because um, well, we thought about this. Well, that's perfect. Uh, we yeah. thought about this, and we had to give uh, some honorable mentions to um, Budapest, actually. Best beer, best craft beer. 
absolutely blew us away is our trip to Budapest. So, well, well, okay, so describe the type of beer that they'll mostly have there. Because when yeah. you talk about micro brews, mm-hmm. micro breweries here, everyone has like the. Well, right now the IPAs are like the big right. um, fad. Yeah, I'm not an IPA person, but mm-hmm. over time I can see that kind of dying out around here. But every country has like their own style of beers. Like when we yeah. go to Germany, they'll have like the Pilsners, which I absolutely love. When I was in Germany, couldn't yeah. get enough of it. Not like in a drunk way, but I mean like this was <laughs> so oh, delicious. Yeah. You just want to go to each spot because every bar you went to, they brewed yeah. their own beer. Yeah. And then when we were in Italy, they all everyone had their house made wine, right? Yeah. yeah. And I remember being in Italy, like we go to this one vineyard and they had. Um, all the wines that they made there and then they at the front there they had like it looked like a gas station like where you go in there like you pump your gas right and Tara and I were like what's this why is this like in the front entrance of this vineyard of this house here and they're like oh that's for the house made wine so on one side was the red wine on the other side was the white wine so they go it's like it's just not as good wine right and so that's the house made wine so if you go to Italy you get the table wine it's like not as good as buying the bottles but to me we're everywhere we drank the house wine was better than like yeah. any of the bottles like and, and i remember people were just walking in they had these big vats yeah. they fill it up with the with the pump and then they go bring it back to the restaurants and that's what it is like so yeah because the quality is so good i mean like that we you know we've traveled we our travels often centered around you know craft beer <laughs> <laughs> food markets you know really good food and just you know exploring the cities so um we actually really enjoyed the beer in Belgium. I have to mm-hmm. get, uh, give a shout out to so them like as Trappist. well. The Trappist mm-hmm. beer in Belgium was fantastic. That was one of our first Trappist holidays. Trappist beer is a type of beer. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I like it's 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 very strong beer and it's very um it's it, they're like it's blanches. Eh? Yeah. Like it's really like because uh, yeah, every time I think Belgian beer, I think of a blonde. Yeah, yeah. But they're strong. They yeah. are, yeah, yeah, like eleven percent and and yeah. So oh, wow, that's yeah, yeah, I know, and it takes some getting used to. You know, you, you go out for one beer and you're already you don't want to slam that back. <laughs> no. You know, like a regular lager. No, and I think I think to be a Trappist beer, they have to be made in a monastery or something like By the monks. traditional way yeah. or something. There's yeah a lot of like history around it that. I don't really know too much about but it's interesting but yeah like hungary like with with budapest i i'm not sure if it was taking influences from all over europe but um yeah it wasn't ipa so much eh? it was like sour beer was the first one that was, was the first place we, we discovered yeah, sour beers so and they sour. were very popular there and um and you know i i like some sours i thought they were pretty good but yeah lots of like um almost like lesser known types of beer that i can't and even interesting remember. mixes so i remember having a really good beetroot beer there mm-hmm. um beetroot yeah mm-hmm. it was infused with beetroot and you know the thing about budapest though was the sheer amount of craft yeah. breweries so every single day i made a list on my phone just to to, to remember what beers we tried because they were all so unique every yeah. single craft brewery but we went to to at least probably 10 in our mm-hmm. week there it was incredible every block had like and two places so affordable so delicious now do you find like over when you're in europe there like because i've only been to a few european countries um but i just found like like you walk down the street you can buy liquor in the like in the corner stores there but like a lot of spots like in germany they had picnic tables outside of the convenience stores right and so walking mm. down these busy old streets people just sit outside they'll drink a beer talking and then they'll like put the empties away and carry on their day i just felt like it's so ingrained in their culture not saying like i don't want to sound like alcoholic but by me like it's just a very um it's part of their social daily living that and i just found like everyone there is slowed down they Mm -hmm. want to sit there and talk to you versus like a lot of times north america head down move on here move on there don't talk head down but everyone just oh where are you from and like some of the best memories like my one buddy when we're in germany Mm -hmm. we end up meeting these other guys and like five guys and we just end up touring the town with them mm. and but it was just like we just kept walking around with those and like i learned more about germany hanging out with these guys and like mm. the, we even got into deep discussions about the holocaust and stuff mm. like that and learn more about them than you could ever find in a museum right and just oh, yeah. from casually walking to some guys there is like hey where are you guys from right so we actually have a story similar to that. I mean, certainly staying in when we started traveling in, in Europe, we stayed in a lot of hostels, and that's a great place to meet other people. And 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 you know, you end up kind of just hanging out with them during your trip. Um, but something that happened with us, to, to us that was really cool was actually New Year's Eve in 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 Gothenburg in Sweden. Um, we were just walking back to our hostel after midnight and we ran into two people on the street and they were essentially like, hey, you want to come to our New Year's party? <laughs> and uh, we followed them. I mean, you know, maybe it wasn't the safest choice. Uh, we'd had a couple of beers, but um, 
we followed them to their apartment where they had just had a bunch of friends over and we ended up spending the night in their apartment at this little kind of intimate little party with a, a bunch of friends that we met and then we, you know, we, we, we became friends and it was really cool. They were actually from all over the world yeah. um, and it was just a really neat experience, you know, just they were so, so kind. I have to speak to the people in Sweden. They were, they were so welcoming, so kind, definitely exceeded our expectations there. And uh, we've had kind of experiences like that all over the world, and it's did, so did nice. Did you like the food in Sweden? Yeah. Yes. I have to say, the now, food did, was pretty Did you guys good. eat caviar? No. Well, I, no, I never tried it. I've never had it. Because uh, when I went in Sweden, my buddy was like, okay, caviar. Mm-hmm. Like, they have it every day. And it comes out like a tube, like a toothpaste. Oh, yes. We did see that. Yeah, so, so it comes that, out, yeah. but, like, they have it every meal. And so yeah. there's like, yeah, let's eat some more caviar. I was mm-hmm. like... Like this is like this is like high class that I never yeah. thought I'd eat caviar. And there's like no throw on like spread it on your like yes. Melba toast every morning, right? Yeah, no, I, I we remember the brave enough, yeah. No, we did. We had a friend in in the UK uh, who I worked with who actually asked us to bring some home for her because it, it is harder to get like outside of uh, Scandinavia. But um, so we did. I remember buying some in the airport eh, and bringing it back, but uh, never tried. Another thing we we never tried food wise, which is kind of strange, was was haggis. Yeah, um, we went to Scotland and just didn't. didn't we, we went we went to Scotland a couple times actually and uh, just just couldn't work up the courage I don't know why I mean I, I'm sure it's great I just uh, for some reason it, uh, I'm, I'm scared well what's <laughs> the, the craziest thing you guys ate Ooh. Um, oh, need a moment because I can tell mine yeah, okay tell yeah yours, go ahead <laughs> okay so the well I can go the the, the most grossest thing well, I'll say grossest thing let's go with that right so I was down in Mexico and we this one family I got to know, they brought me up into the mountains. And so where I was, was all the natives, right? So before the whole war on cartels, the government was at war with the natives because they all want autonomy. And so I went to this one town. You can only go by their invitation, right? So they brought me into the town. And, like, there wasn't, like, the, the Mayans or the Aztecs. It was the Zapotecas, right, which is down in the south on the west coast side. So brought me up in there, and we're kind of hanging out there. And they'll, that day, since a white person's coming to town, they um, slaughtered a goat. And they, they came, showed me where they cooked the goat was just in this fire pit, which was just this hole in the ground. And they was like, yeah, that's where we cooked the goat. That's where we're eating today. And th- it's like 11 in the morning, right? So we go sit down at the table, and the matriarch of the family, it's like five generations there of the family, all sitting at the table. And I'm the first white person this old lady's ever seen before. And she did not trust me. She kept spitting on the floor. She's like yelling at me across the table. And they're like, they're telling her, like, calm down, like, white, because they don't trust white people. That's yeah. why... And um, so I was like, okay. Then um, all the food's on the table. And the way they down there, they don't use knives or forks, right? So they use tortillas. Like you basically the meat, scoop it with your tortilla, um, rip it, like dip it in sauce. That's how you eat it, right? They don't use that. And so they kept passing me this one bowl that kind of looked like a jello, right? And it was like black. And they're like, yeah, here, eat it. And so they like put some on my plate. I was like, okay. And you put salsa on everything, right? And so... So I started throwing salsa on it. I'm eating it. It was like the most disgusting thing. And no one else was taking any. I'm like, oh, what no. is this? Like, I'm trying to figure this out. And they're like, eat more. You like it? You got to be nice. They're like, oh, yeah, it's very good. Now, where I was, um, they drink mezcal. So mezcal is like homemade tequila. Tequila is only made in one spot. Mezcal is made everywhere else. They take the plant. They have agave plant. They smoke it over fire for two days. The juice that comes out. The, so everyone makes mezcal. So, the, um, so on the table, they didn't really have water. They only had mezcal. And so all I could sip was mezcal, homemade <laughs> stuff. So this is probably like the strongest stuff. <laughs> and so I'm trying to wash it down with mezcal, and they kept giving it to me. And they didn't really – they kept telling me – they're um, Spanish is their second language, right? In Spanish, I could barely speak Spanish. So they're speaking Zapoteca, translating through Spanish, translating like it was a, there was a big um, communication breakdown there. And it basically, it was on boiled goat's blood. It oh, was no. so – Disgusting. Now, it was just the texture. Now, that was the most grossest thing I ever had. The weirdest thing I ever had was turtle eggs. Now, this is an endangered, like, it's illegal that they eat this. But where I was was also the same spot where used to harvest a lot of turtles before they became endangered. So what you do with these eggs is you take them. They're a full egg, poke a hole in the top, and you, like, shoot it back. That was, like, the 
weirdest thing. Oh, Bob, I think you're more adventurous yeah. than us. Well, yeah, like no. I was just uh, like, well, it's like when in Rome, they're like, eat this. Is the local what yeah. they eat? I yeah, good like, for you. Okay, let's go. So. <laughs> No, you know, I, we haven't eaten anything too strange. I think we tried camel either in Egypt or Jordan. They did, like, these mixed grills that were incredible, just, like, a bunch of different meats on the grills. And we didn't order it ourselves, but I think we tried someone else's. They had a camel meat special. Um, like, to me, that I just feel like that would be really dry. Yeah. I, don't I don't know, just because maybe because camels are in the desert, not a lot of water. I must have blocked it out or something, because I just remembered it now, and I don't have, a, <laughs> don't actually I don't remember, remember too much too what it was. There yeah. were a lot of spices on it, so I think you know they masked whatever camely flavor very well. It wasn't super noteworthy. I think oh. we also, um, oh, what was I gonna say? I think we also perhaps ate a horse meat burger in Slovenia. Possibly. We don't know what it was. We don't really know. Good. There was some yeah. language barrier problems. There's, be there's probably been really some meats I've had over the years that yeah. are like, I don't know what this is. Could have been horse meat too. Well, yeah. they, they they were pretty commonly had horse meat uh, there, and there was like the best burger place in town. And I was, actually was the best it burger so like good. you've ever had. So, so, you know, there was some language issues there, like with the menu and stuff. So I'm pretty sure it was horse meat. But How was, that was the beer in Slovenia? It was, yeah, oh, pretty yeah. good from what yeah. I remember. Um, we have a few, like, uh, coasters, eh, that we took from a, a pub oh, there once. yes, there. yeah. They had some great craft beer. I mean, craft beer around Europe is really top-notch. Although we do have to say as well, England, the uh-huh. quality of beer in England is incredible. Just the ales, you know, we really, really enjoyed the, the beer in England. And like you mentioned with the social aspect, mm. there's essentially no laws about public drinking. So you go on the train, you've got a beer. You know, you walk down the street, you got a beer. Um, it's pretty fun. It's pretty great. You know, you can just kind of go out and have a beer wherever with friends. Um, and we had a really special brewery we went to in the South called Hogsback Brewery. And we would take our bikes on the train. It was beautiful Surrey. So just rolling hillside, British, just like, uh, as you would picture, perfect British countryside. And we would go to this little brewery in the middle of the country, pick up some of their beers and then cycle to this old, uh, Abbey, Waverly Abbey. So it's just falling apart like um, medieval ruins. And we would just go and have a picnic and drink our beers there. And that was a really special place for us. Um, fun fact, that was actually used in uh, some films, uh, 20 Days Later, Hot Fuzz, uh, one of the places they, they used to 20 film. 20 Days Later, isn't that like a zombie movie? Zombie yeah. movie, yeah. It's where they go and, and have their nice picnic in, in that movie. So uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a really special place near us. And the beer, yeah, in England was really good. And the cider. Thinking back to the uh, strange food thing, when I was um, in Italy, I, I don't know how weird this is, but I um, I mentioned mussels before, right? Like, um, like eating mussels. I had um, mussels one day, and um, I noticed that they tasted a little different than usual, but I wasn't really sure why. I thought, that, you know, they were good. I just kept eating them. And we were with this family. There were a bunch of cousins and stuff. And uh, they couldn't really speak English very well, and I obviously couldn't speak Italian. So, you know, we were just kind of hanging out. But after a while, it came out that um, they, were, they were asking me, like, oh, is, is it okay for you to eat those? Are you, are you able to, to eat them? And I was like, wait, what do you mean? And they said they were raw mussels. <laughs> Apparently, some people can eat raw mussels and are okay, and others can't. And I didn't know they were raw, and I didn't know a lot of them. Um, were you sick after? Or? I was okay. Nothing happened. So apparently I was lucky, and I was one of the people who can eat them. I mean, I was a lot younger then. I was like early 20s, so I don't know, maybe not anymore. Yeah, cast iron stomach? So. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I don't, you know, it's like raw shellfish. It was right out of the sea, though, so maybe when it's that fresh, it's okay. I don't know. Well, like, you can eat all food raw, right? And especially seafood. And, mm. like, um... Like, I remember my one buddy who I was down in Mexico with, he was a cook, right? He mm. was down there actually learning all the – how to cook. He was working, like, as a teacher because we were teaching down there. But he was basically going down there to learn from, the like, the natives down there mm-hmm. um, how they made all their food and all that. Because where I was was known for its food, right, in the state of Oaxaca. And, and he will go down to the market, and there will be, like, say, all, like, red snapper fish. Mm. And he asked the guy to cut off a chunk. You just eat it right there. Oh. He's like, mm, no, I don't like it. I want, let me try that one. So he's like, no, you can eat all raw food, right? Mm-hmm. Like in Japan, they eat raw chicken. But they're growing up on that, wow. right? And the way they do it, it has to be a little bit different. It's not like, hey, let's go buy some raw chicken from right. Lobos. <laughs> like, we, like we just can't handle that. But it's like sushi-grade yeah. type style, right? Mm. So, no, you can eat all food, all meat raw hmm. if, if it's like done right right yeah that's good to know yeah i mean this must have been like i say it was super fresh like it's uh you know i think literally had just come out of the ocean so 
But um, well, yeah, you've inspired us, Bob. Maybe you know when we get back to traveling, we'll be a little bit more adventurous. We'll try that food. haggis. Now, where's the next spot you guys are going to go here? Oh, like, that's I know so we got hard. COVID limitations, and like you guys are, well, you're pretty busy with um, work right now, Nate. And I think one of the um, there are a lot of places like that we sort country. of country. Let's name a country. Yeah, that we didn't like get to go to. I think like Greece was a was a big one on our list. Um, you know, there's lots of like rock climbing in Greece and sailing and stuff, and there's a lot of like, you know, ways to combine the two where you kind of like sail between different rock climbing places, and that would be awesome. Um, Although you're mentioning South America, that's one place we haven't been, and that was on our list. So now, so what spot in South America? If you had to pick one, like, oh. hey, look, you get a free plane ticket, yeah. like you're like, okay, let's go, but you have to leave tomorrow, right now. Where would you guys go? I'm throwing you guys on the spot. I think Peru would be nice. Yeah, or maybe Argentina or something like that. Argentina, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's some great tours that Argentina's we want to do. Argentina's supposed to have great beef, by the way. Great. Uh, there we go. Nice. Yeah, so, you know, once things ease up, you know, being in North America now, our, our idea was to do a bit of more South America traveling now that we're closer um, rather than being in Europe. So, yeah, closer-ish. <laughs> so, you know, who knows? That's, that's I think, on our, on our menu. Although Hawaii, we were thinking as well, might be nice. No, I want to do I want to, Tara and I, we want to get like, a, like an RV trailer. Oh, yeah. Take like a month off and travel through the states. Mm. Like go through like North Carolina, South Carolina, Kentucky, hit Texas, um, hit all those states, yeah. like the Middle West and all that, and just try all the different food there. Because even mm. the states there, like the food's so different from everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. It's like that in a lot, of, like a lot of places, but I think even going somewhere just that close down south, right? Yeah. So you don't have to jump on like a 14-hour flight. Right. That sounds amazing. Yeah, we were thinking about something like that as well, like a big epic American road trip. Um, well, just go out to places and eat. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's. I mean, that's what our travels were mostly centered around. Yeah. Is, is trying the food. Trying the food, especially like the local markets and 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 the food stalls and all the kind of local delicacies and stuff. So beer, food. Um, so you the know. next spot on the spot is going to be Peru. Mm. Could be. We'll see. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, Peru, Hawaii. Um, or we do really want to go back to England and visit soon. Yeah. So that might be one of our first trips. But we'll fingers crossed for that one. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wicked, well, guys. No, that was awesome. Yeah, right. thanks. Thanks yeah, for having thanks us. Thanks thank for you chatting. Thanks so for having us, Bob. This is fun. All right. It was a good talk. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah.